Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. This is truly a farewell in a permanent sense for Matthew as he leaves this part of his life behind. It is a farewell in a permanent sense. It's not just that he's he's going with 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 you know, it's it's not that he's he's going with no intention of return, but but he's leaving knowing it will be impossible for him to to return again to his profession that he's leaving behind. There, there's no way, think about this, there's no way. Remember I told you tax collectors got their position because they purchased it. It went to the highest bidder. And there's no way that the Romans would restore a guy who had abandoned this position and gave it up like this, but they'll just simply sell it to the next buyer and that position is gone. So it's not just that, that, P, that, that Matthew's leaving with no intention of returning. When I say no intention, I mean no intention, but who knows what could happen in the future. No, he's going knowing full well he will never, ever return to this part of his life again. Now, I point that out because in many ways, this, this really, I think, makes his sacrifice so much greater than the other disciples in, in some ways. I mean, in fact, you know, most if not all of them will, will come from trades to which they could return if they wanted to. Now, you know that in John chapter 21, Peter and some of the disciples who were fishermen decided they were going to go back to fishing. You know, I remember uh, uh, Pastor Azarias here from Alaska. I always loved how he always said that out of New King James. I go a fishing. You know, they were going to go back. They were going to return to their former life. But but we know from that account, it's still even for them, it turned out to be a shoe that didn't fit them any longer. But But they still tried to go back. But this will not be the option for Matthew. This won't be an option. When he leaves tax collecting behind, it's gone forever. That's gone forever. There's no, there's no turning back. This is how it should be for all of us. This is how it should be for us. You know, when we, when we cut the ties of our past life to, to follow Jesus, we, we shouldn't leave any breadcrumbs behind, uh, any kind of trail by which we might be able to just find our way back if we need to. First, it's inappropriate for us to do that. It's inappropriate for us to leave any kind of trail of breadcrumbs to go back to our former life when we've chosen to follow Jesus. Just as Jesus tells us, we need to count the cost before we accept his offer. We need to count the cost before we accept his offer. As Jesus will later make clear to those who are following him, here's what he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through verse 33. Luke 14, verse 25 Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Interesting. Do you know what that whole passage is about? When you choose, count the cost. If you're going to choose to go with Jesus, then count the cost. If you're going to choose to be Jesus' disciple to the invitation that he makes, then count the cost. You know, it's interesting as I've sat down with people and I've shared Christ with them, and I know there's different views of, of leading people to Christ and how we should do that. And I, honestly, I've had some people offended by, by what I say when I say this. I hope you're not, but it just is what it is. When I sit down with people, I have no desire to just simply close the deal. It doesn't mean I don't want to lead them to Christ. More than anything, I want to see them come to Jesus. But I want them to understand what it is they're, who it is they're following. I want them to understand the commitment that they're making to it. Oh, it's not a commitment that's burdensome, but still to understand that when they say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, what's, what, what should be involved in that? You see. And so I don't push people. I don't push people to choose. I, I share the gospel with them. I lay it out for them. And, and, and I look at them and say, but now it's your choice. Count the cost. Count the cost. And I've had people ask me, what's it going to cost me? And my answer is your whole life. Your whole life. Who you were, what you were. Because you'll change. He's going to change your life. If this life is more valuable to you than, than what Jesus could offer. And remember for Matthew and, and the disciples, they had no idea what they were about to walk into. <laughs> it wasn't like Jesus told them, okay, if you follow me, here's, here's the cool stuff you're going to get to do. They had no idea. <laughs> they just chose to follow. Knowing full well that their life would be left behind and they would change. And so I look at people and say, your life. It's going to change. It doesn't mean who you are is going to change. It doesn't mean everything in your life will be taken away. No, it doesn't mean that. But but I can't tell you what will and what won't. And I can't tell you how, how it's all going to work out. I just know this, that you have to count the cost because it's going to cost your life. Not your physical life, but who you are, what you've been all your life. And if you're not ready for that, well, that's between, you know, you got to decide. But the question I also ask is, if not now, when? When people say, well, I'm not ready yet. Well, if not now, when will you be ready? What, what will meet the criteria of being ready? I hope that makes sense to you. But I see that in this passage. And, and, and you know, when we look at this, we realize that turning back means, if, if we've turned back, it means that we've never really counted the cost before we began to follow Jesus. It means that we haven't left all. It means that we haven't forsaken all to become his disciple, but that we've remained connected to things that ultimately have taken priority over him. Family, as he points out in here, friends, careers, the comforts of our old life. And it's not like Jesus, you know, hasn't warned us about what's involved in following. Now, I didn't say he'd tell us everything that will happen, but, but he certainly has warned us about what's involved in, in following him because he never painted a rosy picture for any of his followers, Right? He made clear that being his followers would not be easy or, or materially rewarding in this life. 
but it would be a life filled with loneliness and, and even deprivation at times. I mean, listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 through verse 22. Matthew 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to follow me, there's no exceptions. And, and to know that what you're walking into is the life that I have. And my life is one of difficulty and, and, and loneliness and deprivation. I mean, I got no place to lay my head upon a stone, you see, or upon a pillow. My pillow is a stone. <laughs> he even made clear that hatred and persecution might even be a part of life for those who choose to follow him. In, in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4, he says this, John 16, verse 1, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And so Jesus tells his disciples right up front, hey, you're following me. Know that these things are going to happen. It's going to be a difficult life. Persecution's going to come. Now, we can look at that and say, well, that's what he told the original disciples, but he, how's he told us that? Well, later in Scripture, Peter makes the same thing clear to all of those who would follow Jesus. Because Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 through verse 14, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, I just want to point out, he begins that by saying, hey, don't think it's strange. When, when they, they come after you, don't think it's strange when your life becomes difficult as you follow Jesus, as you're brought to task for your faith in him. Don't think it's strange. Why? Because it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Does this mean that everyone will suffer? No. Does this mean that everyone will face loneliness? No. Does this mean that everyone will suffer deprivation? No. But it does mean that we should not be surprised that these things are a part of it. Jesus never painted a rosy picture, and he didn't do that because he was being honest with those that he was making this offer to come and follow. I think we do a disservice today in Christianity with the message that's out there that just says, come and, and follow Jesus, and your life is going to be, you know, so much better. And, and he, all these things he's going to do for you. And, and you're, you know, oh man, you're going to get blessing upon blessing. Look, there's no doubt that that decision I made some 45 years ago to follow Jesus has resulted in, in, in tremendous satisfaction in my life and blessing in my life. But it's not because of the things that, that seem to be communicated today within Christianity. It has to do with my relationship with him. But difficulty and hardship and loneliness and, and, and mock, being mocked and, and, and put down and even to a degree persecuted in some cases, I've found that to be true. 
And so, you know, I, I think we have to make sure we understand that when we paint a picture, that's not what the scriptures or even Jesus painted. We do a disservice to the gospel and we don't allow people to make the choice and they need to understand that this is a part of the life. But, oh, yeah, choose this life and you'll never want to go back. I have no problem looking at somebody and saying that. Choose this life and you'll never. You Where else would you go? I don't know anything else. This world is foreign to me. The thinking of this world is foreign to me. Sadly, the thinking of much in Christianity today is becoming foreign to me. My heart and life are bound up in Christ and who I was is gone. Now, I hope this morning as you're listening on live stream or sitting here today that you relate to this and you're saying the same thing. Yep, it totally upended my life in so many ways, but it was a good upending. It was a good upending. So, so this idea of turning back, though, we can't even say that we're turning back because things were harder than we thought they would be. No, we've been told. We just didn't count the cost, you see. You know, Jesus had nothing good to say about those who turn back for whatever reason. Now, listen to what he says. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, later on, we'll look at this as we move down through the book of Luke. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus is going to say this, and this is pretty pretty straight out. Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa, whoa. So clearly turning back is not an option for any of us. Why would we want to do that? And second, turning back or even leaving a, a way to turn back, leaving those breadcrumbs so we could go back just in case. I, I would argue it lessens the impact of our worship of him. It, it lessens the impact of our worship of him. We worship Jesus by accepting his offer to follow him. But our greatest act of worship is our, in our willingness to, to leave everything behind to do that. It's our greatest act of worship because it costs us something. When we leave behind, it costs us something. When David was seeking a place to, to build that altar to the Lord and, and Aruna offered to give him the land for free where he could build it, David said to him in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. You see, our greatest act of worship is when we willingly, we willingly part with things of value in our lives, that we're willing to let go of things, when we're willing to, 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 to part with things in our lives that cost us something. I'm not talking about quitting your job. I'm not talking about, you know, emptying your bank accounts and giving it all to the poor. I'm not talking about that, at least not if the Lord hasn't specifically told you to do that. I have known some Christians who have come to faith in Christ and the Lord never told them to do some things and they did this stuff and then later regret it and then had to go back out and try to reaccumulate it again, which just made it all some kind of weird thing. You know, look, look, if the Lord tells you to do that, you do that. But what I'm talking about is being willing to leave behind those things in your life, things that you value and, 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 and yet are a part of your life that once was. Not, not what it is or, or will be in Jesus, leaving it all behind and following him with no intent of ever turning back to it again. I'm talking about being willing to keep a loose grip. You know, I own things in this life, but there's nothing in this life that I wouldn't willingly part with if the Lord said part with it, if that was required of me. 
because I've kept a loose grip all these years on all these things of this world, because in the end, this stuff isn't going to matter anyways, is it, right? You never saw a U-Haul following a hearse. It's not going to matter. It's not going to be there when we're gone. If the government has its way, it's going to take it away anything you donate to your kids anyways, if you're saving it up for there. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prudent. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise stewards of the resources that the Lord has given to us. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we need to keep a loose grip to understand that that's a part of life in this fallen world. And we're leaving this behind. We're moving further and further away from this world into the next. And so I use what the Lord has given me in this as he gives me the opportunity. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that's more important to me than my relationship with Jesus and his calling upon my life. This is our greatest act of worship. It's our greatest act of worship because it's costly. And we don't let go in order to make ourselves acceptable to him. And that's unfortunately what some people do. They do go through these things to do it in order to somehow in their minds, they think it's going to make them more worthy of, of Jesus. But look, he's not asking you to make yourself acceptable. So we don't do it for that reason. There's no need to do that because like Matthew, he has accepted us as we are. He accepted us as we are. But but we simply let go and we leave behind and, and we go forward into the unknown with Jesus as an act of our worship of him. You see, Matthew is leaving behind the life that he once knew. And it was a profitable life. Make no mistake about that. It was a profitable life. Even the fact that he could hold a party like this would tell you that there's some wealth to this man. And he's willing to leave this, this life, the, this profitable life in a material sense behind for a life with Jesus that he doesn't yet even understand what that's going to be all about, you know? But he makes the sacrifice nonetheless, and he follows him, never to return to reclaim that part of his life ever again. That is worship. That is worship. May we all be willing to do the same thing in worship of the Christ who we have said yes to that we would follow. May we be willing to let go and to simply follow Jesus because of that gracious offer he has made to us to be his disciples. Well, secondly, Luke tells us in this passage that not only have the tax collectors gathered for this shindig, but Jesus is there too. Right. In fact, Matthew's holding this dinner in honor of Jesus and his relationship that he's now forming with Matthew. And so he's extended this invitation to Jesus to attend. And, and Jesus has clearly accepted Matthew's invitation. Now, I find this interesting because I see a really cool contrast in this. I mean, think about this for a minute. Jesus extended an invitation to Matthew to follow him into a new life that Matthew accepted. But now Matthew has reciprocated by extending an invitation to Jesus to be his guest of honor at his farewell dinner to his old life, which Jesus has accepted. Maybe it's just me, but I think it's kind of cool. You know, there's no major spiritual point to that. I just think it's really cool that that contrast exists here. But third note, Luke also brings to our attention that the Pharisees have shown up in some capacity. The Pharisees have shown up now. It's interesting if you read commentaries or anything that there, there are a lot of teachers who believe that the, the Pharisees are showing the hypocrisy because they're at the dinner, too. I, you know, I got to tell you, I find that idea highly unlikely. I don't think they're at the dinner. 
These guys already look down their noses at the tax collectors and to be seen attending a party, and they're about to criticize Jesus, to to be seen at a party, uh, you know, being thrown by a tax collector would be spiritually beneath them from their point of view. And it would, in their view, sully their externally righteous reputation that they hold. And they would never do that. Oh, they might sin in secret, but they ain't going to do it in public in a way that they think would cause, and I'm not saying it's sin for Jesus to be here, it's not, but in their mind it is. And they're not going to sully their own reputations by that. So I suggest that they'd simply been following Jesus around and they were hanging around outside the dinner while Jesus is inside at the party. That is the most likely case. But they're there, they're just not inside, they're outside looking in. But one thing is clear. It doesn't take long for these guys to show up on the scene and to make the critical commentary about it all. You know, that's how self-righteous sin sniffers are. I have used that word for years because I've been around people like that sometimes. They're just sin sniffers. They're looking for an opportunity to find something going on in your life, something that stinks, something from their perspective that doesn't smell right. And they're always looking for here with Jesus, and they're following the scent of anything that they consider to be out of order and sinful from their perspective. And I say from their perspective, because their perspective on these things is not necessarily God's perspective, right? Their perspective is not necessarily God's perspective. And and, and there's also no question that Jesus has gotten their attention. I mean, Jesus has done that, and and their appearance at this event in whatever capacity that they're there, and, and the interactions which Luke records for us reveals that Jesus is clearly in their crosshairs now. You know, in the beginning, when they came out to check out Jesus, it was because he, they were interested. They, he had drawn their attention and, and they were, they were curious about him. But, but it's clear now and the turn has occurred in, in this gospel. And this is what we're going to see from this point forward. When they're encountering Jesus now, it, it's not because they're coming to, to learn from him, but it's, it's because they're coming out with some self-serving malicious interests that they now have in him. And they're not hanging around to find out what Jesus is teaching because they sincerely want to understand and and to learn from him. But they're on a mission to unseat this spiritual upstart, this unauthorized itinerant preacher who's overturning their ideas of what spirituality is or should be and threatening their authority and power over the people. And they're not going to put up with that. So now Jesus is in their crosshairs. And remember these guys, They derived their power from the spiritual rules, from the spiritual regulations, from the spiritual traditions that they have added to the law and which they've set themselves up as the arbiters of spirituality through the enforcement of these things. They they made up the rules and they get to enforce the rules and anything that would challenge that threatens their power base because they're controlling the people through this. And it's bad enough that Jesus has come upsetting their authority with the people by disregarding the spiritual system that these guys have set up. But now he's even hanging out with sinners like Matthew and these other tax collectors and inviting them. I mean, think about this. He Not only is he hanging out with them, he's inviting them to come be his disciples. Oy vey. (laughs) That cannot happen from this perspective of these guys. This cannot happen. You know what? I, and, and I don't want to spend time on this too long because I'm sure you know it too, but, but folks like this still exist among us today. They exist today in Christianity. They're still here. 
You know, I remember back yesterday was the, I don't know how many of you guys know Pastor Chuck Smith, but, but if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, you know, it started with Pastor Chuck. And, and as he went down and he witnessed to the hippies on the beaches, you know, and, and he started sharing the gospel and opening up the scriptures and teaching the hippies and the hippies started coming to faith in Christ. And, and, and it was simple invitation. Come follow. Come follow. No, he didn't condone sinful things. Not at all. He taught them the scripture, showed them why the life that Christ was now in them was going to lead them into these things, you know, and, and then now they needed to follow him into the righteousness that Christ was leading them. But, but he reached out to them and, and like Jesus, you know, dealing with the tax collectors at this party. And, and the movement began to grow and Pastor Chuck never had a desire. Yesterday was, by the way, a reason I brought up is yesterday was seven years since Chuck went home to be with the Lord. And, you know, as he, he often said, you know, when he first went down there, he had no vision. He didn't go down there to build a church. He didn't go down there to grow this 25 person congregation that he had. He just wanted to share the gospel with these men and women that were lost, so lost. And he went and at first he didn't even want to go. His wife had to talk him into it. He just saw him as dirty, filthy hippies and they ought to get a job. And his wife said, man, we ought to go down and meet some. You ever meet one? Maybe we ought to meet one, you know? And he went down, he fell in love with him. He saw the, the, the emptiness in them. He saw the hole in their hearts. And he knew that Jesus was the only solution, began to share Jesus simply with them from the Scriptures, teaching them the Scriptures. And they began to come to faith in Christ. It's amazing when you go back and read the accounts of what was happening. It was happening in other circles of Christianity as well. The same thing was happening. But yeah, there is, if you read back in the records on this stuff historically, you will find, and, and you can even see some of the teachings that were out there, that these teachers within Christianity that were preaching against him and what he was doing. It, it's like right off the pages of what we're reading right here. You know, they, they, they're just leading them into licentiousness. They're just approving of their sin by hanging out with them. It was on and on and on. And why is that? Because the Pharisees are still here. They're still here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.